Welcome back to Divided States of Women. I'm Heatha Herzog. And I'm Liz Plank. So before we get into today's show, I do want to take a quick minute to acknowledge a story that's all over the news. Like most everyone we know, we've been talking about the stories of sexual abuse and harassment in the entertainment industry and the broader society um, that have spilled out across the media and the internet since the Harvey Weinstein story broke. So hundreds of thousands of women have been using the hashtag MeToo to share their own stories about sexual abuse or sexual harassment. The hashtag got really big after Alyssa Milano tweeted basically asking women to share their stories. But the original campaign was actually started a decade ago by a woman called Tarana Burke. She basically started a a campaign called Me Too that was around the lack of availability of rape crisis centers and of resources for women who are marginalized or who live in low-income areas um, who, who don't have access to these resources and don't have access to the support that they need. So I've been watching these stories unfold and women laying themselves bare, sharing their stories of sexual abuse, sexual harassment. Um, and I, you know, felt so proud of all of the women who are coming forward. I feel so proud of the women who have started this campaign. Um, And at the same time, I also felt frustrated that it's up to women when sexual assault is actually a men's issue. So I wanted to start a parallel conversation, which I've been you know, talking about for for a while now, which is let's talk about men and let's um, actually not center men in conversations about sexual assault, but put the responsibility on them to have that conversation with each other. So I started the hashtag him though. In an attempt to create a parallel conversation that would really flip the script on the way that we talk about sexual assault, that instead of putting the onus on women, putting the onus on men to tell us how they're going to prevent and curb sexual assault in their own communities. So now we're going to move on to the main segment Heatha, I have a surprise topic for you today. Try and guess what it is. Politician? We got a politician on? Nope. No, it's it's better. We're talking about pizza. I wish. Okay, so today <laughs> we are going to be talking about disability porn. What? <laughs> uh, you, wait, you are you serious right now? Yeah. Wait, you, oh, you don't know what disability no, porn I, is? No, I'm... Wait, what do you think disability porn is? I... So many questions are going through my mind right now. Um, That's really what we're talking about today? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, what is that? And who does that? And But but even if you want to do that, mm -hmm. who looks at that? So, actually, a lot of people look at it. And a lot of people don't even realize that they they are looking at it. They don't even realize that it's disability porn. Actually, you, you've probably shared disability porn and you don't even know you did it. I sh- Well, actually, we're trying to have a baby right now, so you're probably right. <laughs> you probably <laughs> sent that around somehow to get Are set you guys, in the mood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, to be totally honest. Yeah. Well, so disability porn is something you've probably seen all over your social media feeds. Uh, you may have actually shared it yourself. It's basically sharing a story about a person with a disability in a way to inspire able-bodied people. 
in a way to be like, uh, oh my God, this person has a disability and look, they got asked to go to prom. How amazing. I see, yes. Basically makes the assumption that people with disabilities are useless, passive, and unable to accomplish anything. And so it sort of glamorizes those accomplishments in a way to sort of dehumanize a person with disability. Yeah. Have you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh my gosh, I work closely with a, a Cerebral Palsy Foundation mm. and we talk a lot about that. So the reason why I really wanted to talk about disability porn on our show is because it's something that really affects women, but it's something that also uh, divides them. I'm so psyched that you're doing this. I'm so psyched. Me too. So when I first started asking around about the topic, there's one name that just kept coming up over and over again, and that is Amanda Sullivan. Um, so Amanda has an amazing story. She grew up as an active, athletic, and civically engaged person. She spent 10 years as an aid worker in South America and the Caribbean. And in Christmas of 2008, she came home to the New York area planning to open a shelter. In the span of six weeks, she was hit by a car not once, uh, but twice, and left with severe injuries that completely transformed her life. In total, I pretty much injured everything from my skull to my toes. My biggest injuries were uh, spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injuries. And I was in bed for two years straight, having lots of surgeries, and I was using a wheelchair for three to four years, and just very desperate. <laughs> I felt like I had done so much good in the world and couldn't really understand why all of a sudden I was just in bed having, I felt like my life had been taken from me. Amanda says that she considered suicide, but ultimately she says that she decided she didn't want to die. She wanted the pain to stop. I realized that as females, we are brought up with this Disney fairy tale idea that some prince is just going to come in and save us. And for as empowered as I felt in the past, I realized that that thought was deep inside of me and I was literally sitting in my bed just waiting for somebody to save me. And I realized, all right, I need to save me. No Superman's gonna come through my window and all of a sudden pick me up and I'm gonna be able to run. She wrote down her goals, things like meet Oprah, something we can all relate to, and wheel a half marathon. By 2012, she had started playing adaptive sports and she joined a regular gym for able-bodied people, even though she found it really scary and intimidating. Today, Amanda is on forearm crutches and she's going to participate in the New York Marathon next month. Amanda really defies stereotypes about women and people with disabilities. I asked her about disability porn. You may have seen it in your own Facebook feeds and Twitter feeds. It's a meme that uses the image and story of a person with a disability to make able-bodied people feel better about their lives. I think there's a time and place for everything. It, it depends on the way that it's used. Amanda has built her career on being an inspiration and motivational speaker. And she knows that her story is not only inspiring to people with disabilities, but also to able-bodied people. And she's okay with that. I mean, I just feel like in general, society should have more stories of people overcoming tremendous odds because our news is saturated with negativity and everyone fighting and everyone hating each other and just all this drama we are missing this huge link that connects us all. But not everyone who has a disability appreciates the popularization of inspirational storytelling about disability. Molly Burke is a motivational speaker and YouTuber who happens to be blind. One of her most popular videos with around 300,000 views answers this simple question. 
Number one, why do blind people wear dark sunglasses? Or number two, if you're blind, why aren't you wearing dark sunglasses? But her videos run the gamut. Some give relationship advice, others are makeup tutorials. Um, most are really related to navigating life as a blind person. Something that she learned to do in the eighth grade when she lost her vision because of a congenital eye disease. Her YouTube channel is not about her overcoming huge obstacles. It's just about her being a young woman in the world who happens to be blind. Molly offers a counter-narrative to the types of stories that we're used to seeing about people with disabilities. A good example of this is every year around prom season, yeah. you'll see those, oh you know, yeah. viral posts on Facebook that everybody's sharing yeah. where it's, you know, a photo of a girl in a wheelchair and a guy at prom together. Mm -hmm. And it goes, he asked her to prom yeah. even though she's right. in a wheelchair. Right. And it's like, well, maybe she's just awesome. Like, maybe he's had a huge crush on her yeah. the four years they've gone to high school together and he finally gained the courage to ask her out. Like, you know, it, it, it's oftentimes these photos are going around without the knowledge or consent of the disabled person. And what I always say to people is, society only accepts these kinds of images because it has to do with disability. If that image was, he asked her to prom, even though she's 20 pounds overweight, society would be outraged, but it's disability, so we don't care. We want to either put disability on a pedestal or put disability uh, on the ground and pity it. So. And a part of inspiration porn is also uplifting or glamorizing the able-bodied person for yes. giving a fuck about a person with a disability, yep. right? Being like, what a hero. Exactly. He Which is, you know, about making able-bodied people feel better, feel better about mm -hmm. themselves. Exactly. And it's it's so weird because I've not once had a boyfriend who has not been told, wow, it's so good of you to date her. Oh, my God. And I'm like, no, I'm just really good looking. I'm so, awesome. Yeah. I'm just really great. Yeah. I'm, I'm really funny and I'm talented and I'm as much of a catch as he is. So it's it's so weird to me. And all like every guy that I've been in a relationship with has been super compassionate and amazing and kind and doesn't make me feel disabled at all which, you know, is really amazing to find those people. And I actually, I also refer to my disability as, like, the jerk filter. Because, <laughs> you know, all my girlfriends have to go on multiple dates before they find out a guy is an asshole, whereas I multiple years. get it out of the way yeah. right away. Like, right. they're just not going to even give me a chance. Oh, wow. So I don't have to waste my time. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a positive. It's like one of my blind pros. Right. What was the best date you've ever been on? The best date I've ever been on. Ooh, that's a hard question. My ex-boyfriend, one of my ex-boyfriends, was really like one of those people where you're like, they exist. You know, mm. like he would just do those things where it was like, guys do that? I thought that was just in the movies. Mm. So like the first two months of our relationship, he learned how to read and write in Braille. Oh. And he bought a Brailler so he could like that's Braille awesome. me love letters and stuff, which was wow. super sweet. Um so, I mean, I think stuff like that's, like, just so, you know, beyond what I would have ever expected right. when I went blind. But, right. yeah. So Molly told me that back when she was on Tinder, she didn't identify herself as a blind person, in part to stay off the radar of men who have a disability fetish. They're, like, obsessed with people with disabilities. Like, they want to be their caregivers, essentially. Okay. Yeah. And they want to, like, watch them. Essentially, what they like to do is, like, say a woman's in a wheelchair, they like to take her wheelchair and watch her struggle. Wow. Or, like, in my case, they would like to, like, since I'm blind, they would like to do things like put objects in my way to watch me, like, walk into things. 
they would view what I am, you know, describing them as as being a very wrong description of them. Like, they view it as being a very, like, no, we just admire them. Like, we love seeing what they do. We think it's amazing. Like, we want to be their caregiver. Like, you know, I want to, I want to help them. But it's, it's like, they, they like that we're helpless. Like, or they view us as helpless and they like to almost make us more helpless. Like, it's very strange. So, so I want to avoid that. And I also think that being disabled, there is a, a safety aspect that I have to consider when dating mm-hmm. um, because the more um, abusive personalities, you know, they, they look for vulnerabilities. And whether I like it or not, being blind makes me vulnerable in certain situations. Right. And so I don't want somebody seeing that vulnerability mm-hmm. or perceived uh, vulnerability and uh, swipe right to match with me because of it. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it's the statistics on women with disabilities who get physically and sexually abused is is staggering. Staggering. It's unbelievable. Um, uh, There's a lot of things like that that I also have to consider. So I never put that I'm blind on Mm. on dating profiles. Mm. And it's something that I try to work into a conversation. Okay. Um, So once I've had enough of a conversation with the guy to be like, okay, he seems, you know, like a reasonable human. I feel safe exposing this or telling them, then I'll kind of like, it's like a game for myself. I try mm. to find like the funnest way to slot it in there. <laughs> and uh, if it's, and like kind of like drop hints, if you will, like give them clues. Oh my God, tell us how. Tell, so, like, do you have an example? If, if it was, if it's never like coming up naturally, then I'll do this like, tell me three random facts about yourself. <laughs> and they'll tell me, and then I'll and they'll be like, "How about you?" I'm like, "I'm allergic to sterling silver. Uh, I'm obsessed with Ellen DeGeneres, and I'm blind." <laughs> you know, just casual. Uh, or like, yeah, or like another guy. We were talking about sports. And I'm like, "Oh, like I really love downhill skiing, and I really love Pilates and horseback riding, and riding my bike. I love like tandem cycling." He's like, "Oh, tandem cycling, that's unique." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, I'm blind, so you know, I can't oh really God. like ride a bike on my own." And, you know, you just casually slip it in. Um, but one guy, when I did that, he. Goes, goes, I really hope you're, well, actually, first he told me, because there was a photo of me hugging my dog, and he goes, well, if that's your guide dog in the photo, you know you're not supposed to touch him when he's working, right? And I'm like, uh, no, number one, his harness is not on. Number two, I've been the guide dog for <laughs> 10 years, so I actually know that. And uh, number three, I can do whatever I want because it's my dog. <laughs> and when my dog is on harness, I am allowed to touch it. Nobody else is. And so he's like, yeah, I learned that at blind school. I was like, what is a blind school? Please enlighten me as to what blind school is. Right. And uh, he's an EMT, so I don't know if he had, like, a a lesson on blindness in in schooling or what. Um, And so then he goes on to be like, well, I really hope you're not lying about this. It was like mansplaining on crack, something that I think all women can somewhat relate to in some way. So watching... Molly Bear, her life is so powerful. You know, she just happens to be blind, but she brings this levity to her public persona. She brings the good, the bad, the ugly, um, and that really matters because it normalizes disability. That's how many of my friends with disabilities see their disability. And what they've told me is something that Molly says was a really powerful realization for her as well. She realized that she's not the one who needs fixing. Society's broken. (laughs) How they view disability and how they treat disability is broken, and that's what we need to fix. And that's, you know, that's what I try to do. So hopefully, hopefully it's making a difference. (laughs) 
Look, it's no secret, bra shopping is a drag. But what if you could skip all of that hassle and find a perfect fitting bra in just minutes? Check out Third Love. Third Love's Fit Finder quiz recommends the bra that's right for your size and your shape. It's the only lingerie brand that offers bras in half cup sizes, which is in insane and amazing. You can try one of Third Love's amazingly comfortable bras for 30 days. You just pay $2.99 in shipping and you can return it and exchange it for free. So go to thirdlove.com slash divided to find your perfect fitting bra and try it for 30 days for free. That's thirdlove.com slash divided. Thirdlove.com slash divided. So I've been watching what's been happening in Puerto Rico and getting madder and madder and madder. Um, and so I'm really honored to be joined by Raquel Richard, um, who I had the pleasure to work with uh, when I was working at Mike. And she is now a freelance journalist covering politics, social justice, cultural issues for U.S. Latinxs. Raquel's family is from Puerto Rico. She lived there when she was young. And she traveled to Puerto Rico with a group of Puerto Rican and Dominican media makers who are there to report about the crisis. We touched grounds Friday, October 6th, um, but before we even landed, I could witness the devastation uh, from above. Parts of the lands appeared black. <laughs> At first, we thought it might have been the shadow of the plane, which didn't really make sense because the black was scattered everywhere. Um, but we later learned that those areas were lifeless vegetation that had burned. Once we left the airport, you could already start seeing the mountains of debris alongside roads. There were piles of branches, refrigerators, mattresses, clothes, tables, strollers, like everything you can think of. Um, people just lost it all. Um, and just about every building and every home was impacted, though some more than others. I was there for six days, and we visited several municipalities. Um, in Aguadilla, which is where my father is from, and actually neighbors the town that I grew up in, we saw homes that were completely destroyed, uh, elderly that were now homeless, living on the streets or with a neighbor. We saw a father of five filling 16 bottles of water from a very dirty stream that people were both taking baths in and drinking from. We talked to people who, had, who hadn't eaten or drank water in days. FEMA did not arrive in this area. In fact, people thought we were FEMA and were desperately asking us for help. We also spoke with the owner of a funeral home there who told us that the official island-wide death toll, which is currently at 48, <laughs> was nonsense because um, in his municipality alone, 30 people had died because of the hurricane. More than 30 people had died because of the hurricane. In Vega Baja, located on the north central part of the island, we spoke to a mother of three who had lost a significant part of her home and was completely distraught. She was very clearly in need of help for her mental health to get through the trauma she experienced and was still and, and was still experiencing. Um, but I don't feel confident that she will receive that help because she hasn't even yet received physical aid um, because we were told that FEMA refused to go up to the Rocky Mount to the Rocky Hills where she lived. So um, the scene was just extremely devastating everywhere we went, um, and the stories were even worse. Uh, just about everyone we talked with. Uh, with the exception of maybe about three people hadn't received aid and they were really depending on each other and i think that this was a really important thing to note because donald trump claimed that puerto rican people want everything done for them right <laughs> and this is such a tired and untrue stereotype that had followed puerto ricans for a really really long time it's a racist stereotype it's one that upholds colonialism but despite this myth that 
our president repeated at a very grave time. What I actually saw were teenagers cutting down trees to clear traffic. I saw a man in his 70s getting water from a neighboring town and providing it to his entire community. I saw a man connecting his sole generator to seven different homes in the neighborhood. Um, that same man uh, he was also fixing uh, his neighbor's roof when I was talking with him. Um, I saw a woman using rainwater to cook for several homes in her caserillo. I saw local organizations providing free food and clothes, just neighbors giving everything they had to each other and even offering us the very limited food and water they had. It doesn't surprise me, right? I've always known the Puerto Rican people to be fighters and givers. That's the only way that they've survived under hundreds of years of colonialism, 119 of those years under the U.S. It must, how did it feel when you heard Donald Trump's response? You know, given the history, given you know, the stereotypes that you talk about, the fact that he would say that at that time. Right. Trump's response, um, well, Trump's response as described to me by the people of Puerto Rico mm. um, was, they, they say, absent, insulting, and abusive. Mm. Um, that's the language that they're using. Um, but for me, it's, it's not surprising, right? Mm. Not just because Trump is a horror of a president, mm. um, <laughs> But because Puerto Rico has been exploited and mistreated since the U.S. invaded the island in 1898, um, Puerto Ricans have a second-class citizenship that was imposed on them. And if the federal government isn't going to assist because of the quote-unquote citizenship, um, they, they must because of the immense reparation it owes to the people of Puerto Rico. Right. Do you think that what's happening right now could help speed up that conversation or do you feel like the response of Donald Trump further solidified um, how marginalized Puerto Rico is and how oppressed um, it is in the United States? This isn't the first crisis to hit Mm. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico has been struggling for a very long time. Um, Most recently, you know, with the debt crisis and and I believe that this has ignited folks there Mm. um, when when I speak to people on the islands, and I'm talking from elders in the mountains to the young college students in San Juan Mm. of all races and all classes, everyone knows that they're being exploited Mm. by the United States. Everyone knows that that's not okay. Mm. But some people feel helpless. Mm. Some people feel that the United States have not heard them for so many decades and have not uplifted their struggle, that this is just the life, this is just life for them. Yeah, I mean, the the failures of the Trump administration could not be clearer than they have been in the response to Puerto Rico. Thank you so much for joining us, Raquel. Thank you for your work, for your reporting, and for everything that you do. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you so much for joining us on this uh, very packed episode of Divided States of Women. Please rate and review the podcast, tell your friends, and we will talk to you next week. Divided States of Women is executive produced by David Goodman, Nishat Korwa, Heatha Herzog, and me, Liz Plank.